While the rest of the world is still struggling to contain the outbreak of COVID-19, South Korea, progressing steadily in its containment of the pandemic, has begun its season of baseball. With America's Major League Baseball still postponed, ESPN has begun airing the Korean baseball organization's games in America. This is a seminal moment. Koreans are bringing baseball back to its homeland and showcasing what their league looks like to an American audience. Potentially a harbinger for greater exchange of players between the two nations. In light of this development, we have today a panel of Korean baseball experts, including a former player and a current agent, to discuss and highlight the 101 of the league and the sport in Korea. Our guest host, former U.S. Ambassador to Korea Mark Lippert, will introduce the panel and moderate the discussion. With no further delay, from the Korea Economic Institute in Washington, D.C., you're listening to Korean Context. just going to start by saying sport has a very special place in the development of modern Korea. Everybody knows about the 1988 Olympics and its relationship with democracy there. You also have the 2002 World Cup, the 2018 Winter Olympics, obviously, which played into North-South relations and eventual U.S.-North Korea summitry. And this moment where Korea is very much on the global stage. And it's quite an interesting development. It has all sorts of economic and cultural implications, policy implications, but most importantly, it's just really, really fun for those of us who are big KBO fans, people who have played, or people who operate in and around the league. And with us, we have an all-star stacked panel today. We have, let me just start with Esther Lee, super agent of KBO. She has multiple KBO and MLB stars on her roster. She's got Jung-ho Kong, who you may have seen with the Pirates, Hyun-soo Kim, who played with the Orioles, now with the LG Twins. Puck Byung-ho, who's with the Heroes and played here in Minnesota for a little while. And I think she just signed the big prospect, Chang-ho Lee. So look out for Esther. She's here with us. We have former player, Eric Hacker, the pride of Duncanville, Texas. Played with the Pirates, the Twins, the Giants, and five seasons with KBO compiling a 56-34 and 34 record, a very respectable ERA of 3.52, especially in the juiced ball era, and played with the Dinos and the Heroes. You may have seen him on ESPN, our panelist, Daniel Kurtz. He runs the MyKBO website. He has a great Twitter feed. He is an analyst. He doesn't like to be called an expert, but he is an expert. He's a super fan. He also has a great t-shirt website that helps fund his free site so check that out as well i just bought a couple myself and last but not least we have troy who introduced himself he is our resident policy expert he is the editor of kei the host of this their flagship publication korea's economy master's degree from london school of economics is a columnist for several publications including the korea times and most importantly wrote a really interesting piece about kbo just a little while back in the diplomat So we have a great panel, and later, who will be joining us as soon as he finishes up some taping, Daniel Kim, who you may have seen all around on ESPN. He's a former New York Mets scout. I think he has a World Series ring. He's a KBO analyst. You might catch him on NBC or his YouTube channel. So with that, let's get into it. And again, welcome to all of our panelists. We're going to have a fast, fun-moving discussion here that covers both policy, big picture issues, business side, but also just some fun fan stuff as well. Let me go to Troy. 1982 is when KBO started, but baseball was around Korea a long time prior to that. 
talk to us a little bit about quickly on the history of baseball in Korea on the Korean Peninsula and how we got to the league today. And then I'm going to go to Eric uh, right after that. The league is relatively new, but the game has actually been in South Korea on the Korean Peninsula, maybe more specifically, much longer. There are newspaper reports going back to April of 1896 when a group of Marines played against American expats in Seoul. Later that year, the Marines also played the Seoul Athletic Club. So the game was first sort of maybe planted there back in the 19th century. But it slowly kind of developed largely amongst the Japanese population before World War II. But it really started to take off amongst the Korean population on the peninsula after the Second World War. You had the influence of the U.S. military who was playing the game. They were providing equipment to people. And then South Koreans started to take and engage in international competitions, both in Europe, in Asia. And as Korean teams became better international competitions, the game really started to become popular in South Korea. You talked about sort of the political side of things. Park Chung-hee reportedly saw baseball as a way to improve relations with Japan. But when we get to the early 1980s, you have in 79, of course, the assassination of Park Chung-hee. Chun Doo-won comes to power. And he really pushed baseball as part of a policy to try and take and bring the country together and sort of give his regime legitimacy. And so there is this sort of political underpinning to the beginning of the professional league in South Korea as well. Thanks, Troy. Great update. We're juggling Korea expertise, we're juggling baseball expertise, and we've got kind of a cross-matrixed audience here. So just to provide a couple of comments, 1980s, that's when the democracy movement is in full voice. And Park Chung-hee is the controversial military dictator who led Korea from the early 60s to the late 70s, who is a polarizing figure in Korean politics today, due largely to his success in economic development, but also human rights issues that are extant in Korean politics to this day. So Troy's point is there are domestic political overtones and implications to the founding of KBO. All right, well, let's pick up on a theme of that you mentioned, Troy, on, in terms of international relations. In this day and age, we've got foreign players that are relatively new to KBO and are what I would argue a great export. Many of them are Americans, a great export from the United States. I think they should show up in the trade stats. And I'm gonna to come to Eric Hacker, who is one of those intrepid, highly skilled foreign players who played in the major leagues for a couple of years with a multitude of teams and then went over to KBO. Eric, talk to us about your experience in the league, what it's like to be a foreign player, interaction with teammates, comparison with MLB, you know, everything that a curious fan is interested in about KBO from a player's point of view. Well, we could touch on a lot of different subjects that really classify the foreign players and what makes a player successful and, and all the things that really fall into those categories. But you know, I think ultimately it's a lifestyle for you and your family, you know, depending on the player you are and the age and where you're coming from. I don't want to say it's a magic formula for a foreign player to be successful, but you really have to buy into it. And the guys that are there, I don't know if hungry is the right word, you know, because you see those guys leave the U.S. and they're, say, a triple-A a major league guy. We call them a 4A player, whatever you want to call them they're kind of hungry in their career and they go over there if they're trying to find, trying to build a family and, and they need to make money and play a game that they love, 
you know, they get that opportunity when they go over there and they're actually considered somebody. And here, a lot of guys get left behind because the system is so deep here. There's so many players. And when they get a chance to go over there, they're actually considered somebody. And so if you really buy into that and you're hungry about being successful, those are the guys that are successful. Dan, talk about how the KBO structure plays into fan loyalty. So many Koreans now live in Seoul, right? You have these regional teams, but a lot of Koreans who used to live in say Gwangju or the southern part of the country now live in Seoul. Talk to us about the fan experience of KBO uh, with all of these variables in play. The teams are named after the companies, but they're also for a region. So for some of my friends that are from Busan, they're like, I became a Lotte Giants fan because that's what I am in Busan. So they're like, I couldn't like root for anybody else because this is my region. This is my team. This is where I'm from, which is very similar to such as like for myself. I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan, Eastern Pennsylvania. So it's just from where I was from. But then I did talk to a couple other of my friends and they said, well, I live in Seoul. My family members work for the LG Corporation and we got free tickets. And when I was a little kid, I used to go to their games. So that kind of employment aspect of being company owned came into play there for the, somebody like that. And then you had talked about all the people now living in the Seoul metropolitan area. And so the ones that I talked to that have grown up and then moved into Seoul and they came from all around the country, they still have their dying passion for their hometown team. If it's from outside of Seoul, if it's the Kia Tigers from Gwangju, or if it's the Busan Lotte Giants, they like it because then they have more chances for when those teams come into the five metropolitan areas. So anytime those teams come, they're out at the stadium, of course, sitting on the visiting side. So if you have never been to a KBO game, unlike Major League Baseball games, there's kind of, quote, assigned seating, more or less, of your cheering squad or cheering team. So if you were for the home team, for example, you might be for the first base side. And if you're rooting for the away team, you're going to pick seats on the third base side because that's where the cheering squads, cheering sections are. So the stadiums are split up. And so if you are a fan for the away team and they're coming all the way into Seoul, you're going to go, even though your hometown right now might be a Seoul, you're going to go to the away side and you're going to sit with your team's fans and you're going to cheer, sing, and just have a great time for that team even though they're the visiting team. So sometimes I've seen in the past when I'm watching a game or even attended a game, sometimes the away team is obviously much louder than the home team just because of the amount of fans that they have, the dying passion, the loyalty of those regional teams from outside of Seoul. Eric, on ESPN, some of the analysts today were talking about how maybe the adrenaline of the fans not being in the stands over the long season may kind of wear down a player or basically not provide that energy you need to motivate every day. And that could be a factor. Could you just talk us through the fan element about being a player? And then would you mind getting into quickly kind of the comparison of MLB and KBO in terms of analytics, how pitchers are handled, some of the more technical aspects. So if you wouldn't mind just touching on those two subjects. The fans in the U.S. and the MLB fans don't realize that the KBO fans are, they love you no matter what. And it's amazing that, you know, you can just be really bad and they still are cheering for you. You can have a bad game and they're still there. They're still screaming. Just that feeling makes you feel really good. You know, in an MLB game, if you're down by 10 and you're a pitcher and you're out after three and you've given up 10, you know, you're getting booed and, you know, you're the worst person. And so I guess I could say that it was always a good feeling when I had a bad game that the fans were still there for me. So that aspect, I just can't imagine that feeling of what the players are going through right now. But I could just say that I'm sure that it's difficult, you know, because we always say 
as players, we play the game, you know, because we love the game, but for the most part, we play for the fans too. And so, you know, when you lose that aspect of the game, it's a big challenge. And from the analytics side, I think MLB has seen this for years and it took them a long time to figure out how they were going to use the analytics and all the data that's involved in the game now. I think it's a domino effect between MLB, Japan, Korea, and you kind of see it makes its way around. And so when it got to Korea, it was young. And I think we're starting to see, you know, that transition a little bit here where they're still, the KBO is still trying to kind of figure out how some of this works. And there's going to be a balance. We're going to go in the last 10 minutes to kind of a lightning round of just fun fan stuff. But before we do that, I want to bring it back to Troy, perhaps Esther, just for a couple of big picture comments. Troy, we've sat through this panel here today. And the reason we're having this panel is there's a broader subject at hand. It's that the South Koreans have successfully managed to battle COVID-19 to a place where the numbers are in double digits. They were single digits a couple of weeks ago. There was a reopening of schools in Korea to seniors and then all students in a couple of remote outlying areas. You've had conversations among trade ministers of Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, Singapore, Canada about kind of reopening, uh, almost like a transportation bubble, uh, for lack of a better term. Troy, you're with KEI. This is your bread and butter. You're a policy analyst. Talk us through some of the bigger picture implications of KBO underway, both in terms of what this means for Korea on the international stage and what's going on domestically in Korea. Korea has been an exemplar going forward of how to take and handle COVID, how to do it by minimizing the need for lockdowns, how to take and reopen things like the KBO. When we look at this, you know, you mentioned schools reopening. So right now there aren't any fans in the stadium, but the teams are hoping to actually start getting to that point. And so they're monitoring very closely. How is the progress of seniors going to school taking place? Right now, they're trying to create some social distancing in the schools. So if that works successfully, then, you know, to potentially apply that to the stadiums, you know, have everyone enter through certain corridors, exit through certain corridors, maintain a certain separation. If you look at a lot of the travel restrictions that have been put in place, you know, South Korea has as many or more than perhaps any country in the world. But Korea has done this really good job of managing the situation. And so this will help create, I think, more confidence in not just how other people can restart things, but how people can start returning to South Korea. And then that obviously has economic implications because it makes it easier for companies to engage in business. For firms who have production in South Korea to send the engineers or the other experts they need to Seoul or other parts of South Korea and have the confidence that not only can they go, but that they're going to be you know, safe and remain healthy. And so I think you know, both in terms of soft power, uh, you know, now with the KBO on ESPN and people seeing the games, in terms of the demonstration effect, in terms of what you can do, in terms of bringing things back online. And I think every country is learning right now that it's easier to shut an economy down than to restart one. And so all of these things, I think, benefit South Korea in being able to take and sort of show at least one potential pathway forward for other countries. Esther, not to get too serious, but just in terms of your players that you represent, you know, these conversations are ongoing about fans in the stadium, safety issues, any insights from your perspective? You're there in Seoul, both as just Korean, but also the implications of KBO on everyday life and the business you're in, in terms of how the players are reacting and what your thoughts are on all of this. As an industry person, and also when I talk to the players, we're very thankful that 
America, ESPN, and MLB people are supporting KBO right now. It is good for some of the prospects who wants to maybe go to MLB someday, can be a great promo to KBO. But more importantly, a lot of the players, all the players, I guess, and also the people working in this industry, we're trying to be safe and also want to be more responsible in everything. For example, we, of course, want to show a great quality of the game because it's airing to ESPN. And also, we feel like, you know, we're the hope to other league and other country. So that's why a lot of people in this industry try really, really, really hard to be safe, you know, not going out, not eating out, try to be away from people, try to meet the minimum people as possible. I represent more than 50 players, but I almost meet like no play. I have to sometimes meet the players because if this is like a text report season to kind of help them out, but try to keep the social distance all the time. We're wearing masks all the time, 24 seven, whenever we have a meeting. So I feel like we're having this like big responsibility that we want to make sure that the league keep going so we can give hope to not just to sports players or not to just the sports league, but to the people in this world fighting for this virus right now. So I'm going to go to Daniel. Daniel, who's going to win the KBO league this year, regular season and K-series, and which player is going to be the MVP? Would have put me on the spot. So these my are, predi- these are lightning, lightning round yes. answers. We're going to try to okay. get a lot in. All right. My predictions, which are never right, but I have the Kiboom Heroes taking down the Doosan Bears in the Korean series. So we'll see if that comes true. MVP this year, I'm going right now, he's on a tear, Preston Tucker. He's going to be the foreign MVP. I haven't seen anything like this since Eric Dames and then see. Excellent. Great point. All right, let's go to Troy. Troy, you're a baseball fan. You're a Cubs fan. You're a Latte Giants fan. You've been in and out of Korea back in the U.S. What's your favorite thing about KBL? I think it's actually the seventh inning stretch and being a Cubs fan, that's sort of a unique thing. You had Harry Carey when I was growing up singing the seventh inning stretch. I've been to a Latte Giants game. And the atmosphere is amazing. You have the fans going crazy. You've got, you know, the thunder sticks and everything. The excitement in the seventh inning stretch at a KBO game is similar to the excitement at the World Series at uh, Wrigley. So I'd say probably that. Okay. Uh, Excellent, Troy. Question for Esther. Does a KBO team have to be owned by a Korean company? Can you help us with that question? Actually, I looked at the question too. I'm looking up the rules right now. I'm not sure about it. Interesting. We okay. never had any teams owned by a, a foreign company, so I'm not sure about it. I'll, I'll try to get the answer. Okay. All right. Good stuff. A stumper for the panel. Wow. Okay. Uh, Eric, question from the audience. This one comes from the Congressional Research Service, believe it or not. I don't think it's in their official capacity, but just a friend who's a friend and colleague of ours who is also a KBO fan and a great Korea analyst asks if there are philosophical differences between MLB in terms of training, practice, the medical parts of the game, both as a player. And Esther, jump in too if you want to take that one. Let's go to Eric and then Esther for any comments. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some differences. I think a lot of it has to do with financially too. You know, I think the MLB owners and the people that own these MLB teams are so deep in their pockets that they stack their staff's members with just high-end quality doctors and therapists and trainers and 
I mean, really just go down the line. There's, they're not cutting any corners and not that the KBO cuts corners, but from the financial standpoint, it's just not as deep. On most of the KBO teams, you have probably three trainers, a strength coach or two and all that. And from a training standpoint, I would say that, you know, Korea is a little behind in a sense of, you know, their style of training and stuff. I think Korea, because a lot of it to do with the military style mentality, a lot of their training over the years has been a lot of that military uh, style stuff of really a lot of running and stuff like that. And on the weight training side, you didn't see a lot of that. When I first got there, you know, I'd be kind of doing my thing and working out and training and lifting weights. And, you know, I just got lots and lots of questions. Oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And, you know, so like we started to brainstorm together. I started to give some ideas and we started kind of working together a little bit on some of these things. So hopefully that answers your question. That's a great answer. And I see Daniel Kim, who's just uh, joining us at the very end. Daniel, we're in a lightning round. Eric, great, great answer, by the way. We're in a lightning round and we are in the process of just going through some fun things, answering some questions. We've got a few minutes left. You're just parachuting. I'm going to put you on the spot. What is the best KBO franchise of all time? Who are the New York Yankee equivalent? Who is your vote for best player of all time? And who's going to win this year uh, in terms of team? For 2020, my pick is going to be Kium Heroes. Sorry to disappoint you, but uh, I think Kium's going to get it done this year. Who are the Yankees of KBO? I don't think there's any. But if I were to pick one franchise, I would have to pick Kia Tigers because they've won the most championships. But, say, yeah. but that would be my pick. Uh, best player of all time. Wow, that's really difficult. Yeah, but, uh, and Daniel, I don't want to put you on the spot on that, but that did come from a colleague at the Department of State. So, you know, okay. the, the, you know so, uh, all right, so th bookmark that. We're going to come back to you. We've got a few minutes left before we go. I'm going to go to Troy. You're a guy, again, in and out of Korea, a whole lot of experience. What surprised you the most about KBO in terms of uh, both pleasant and maybe something you'd like to see changed? I think the most pleasant thing, you know, is we've all talked about this, is the nature of the fans, the engagement uh, with the team and everything. I think the one thing I'd like to change is, you know, really some of the rules in terms of players going back and forth. I, like a lot of people, you know, do fantasy baseball, so you tend to follow a lot of different players. And I think that there's a real opportunity for some of the Korean players, like there's a young shortstop who is with the Kim Heroes, Kim Ha-sung, who is seen as one of the top young players in Korea, has, you know, probably a really good chance to come to the major leagues at some point. The way the MLB rules work now, you know, you'd want it changed to where he could go at 25 because that's when he could actually get a real free agent contract in MLB. Excellent. Thanks, Troy. Great answer. Let me follow up one, one quick question. You kind of touched on it a little bit uh, throughout your comments. Question from the audience. Do you think the KBO fan style could be imported into the U.S.? Can you see this at Wrigley anytime soon? I think to an extent, because I mean, Wrigley during like, the World Series, and even when I've been there before, there's a lot of excitement. I mean, there are cultural differences. It's like even when you talk about like, you know, amongst the players and everything, the idea of, you know, the honoring rules of baseball and stuff in the U.S. and the more reserved nature, I think it could happen, but I mean, it's going to take time. Okay, let's bring Dan and Esther both into that. Both look like turning into an episode of Crossfire here in our waning seconds. Let's go to Esther. Esther, you're a no on that? Yes or no? You're a no? Yes and no, because, you know, I, I like both cultures. I've been to MLB stadiums a lot of times and KBO as well. And I like it in a both way. I like it 
you know, somewhat quiet and sit down and, you know, relaxing more in MLB stadiums. And also, sometimes like in KBO, I chant the song and I dance all together. It's more of like a party style. So I like it in a both way, but I'm not sure like it can work because we have a long history. KBO has a long history. And also MLB itself has a very super long history baseball culture. So I'm not like really sure about it, but maybe we can kind of like, you know, switch some of the culture, but not 100%. <laughs> okay, great, great answer, Astra. And I, I got the answer for that. Um, I think Korean teams does not have to be owned by Korean companies. Interesting. Thanks for the note there. I was just going to say on your previous answer, you've got the makings of a diplomat. You straddled the question well. And I will attest that I've seen you in both KBO and MLB stadiums that you are equally comfortable in both. Um, Daniel, uh, quickly, yes or no to your culture, does it work? In um, any other comments on best player of all time, all that good stuff? I like the way it is. I, I kind of agree with what Esther had just said. I think it's two different cultures, so I don't think uh, we would have to copy one another. The only thing that could be brought from KBO to MLB would be bat flips, and that's about it. I like the way how each league <laughs> is different. So, best player... I would say Dong Yeol Sun. He pitched for Hete Tigers. He will be my pick. Okay. All right. Great. We got that out of yeah. you. We got us basically at time, but I'm going to give Dan Kurtz the last word and just ask him favorite fan attraction park. Do you like the drinking contest? What's kind of your favorite? Let me just say on your Twitter feed, Dan Kurtz, you have kind of quirky things about the league. You have serious statistical things about the league. What's your favorite thing about the league as a fan, favorite stadium? And we're going to leave that as the last word. I'll wrap up after Dan Kurtz. Sure. Some of my favorite things of the league just on the field is I love that the players show their flair, their own personality, such as what Daniel just said, the bat flips. As a fan going to the games, I love the fact that everybody is singing and no matter the score, they're chanting. So like in the United States or major leagues, if you're down 8 nothing, you're out after the 6th, 7th inning. In the KBO games, you're standing there until the ninth inning, until the final out, singing, full throat, chanting, clapping. And then not only that, then to see the players then from both teams then after the end of the game come over and bow, thank their fans for attending the game and for coming out and cheering for them no matter the score. I think that is a great aspect of the KBO. Okay, thanks. That's the last word. Thanks to all the panelists. Thanks to KEI. Great session, serious issues, fun fans stuff, great insight from Eric in terms of the player uh, dimensions. And Esther, super agent, thanks for joining us as well. We're really excited. I'll end on this note and just say that we didn't get to answer every question. We apologize. One question we didn't get to answer, but I'll close after this is, says, and I'm not going to answer, Dear Ambassador Lippert, do you plan to purchase the Doosan Bears in the future? I love that question, but I love the parks. They're great owners. So full stop there. That's it for the episode today. Many thanks to Ambassador Lippert, Esther Lee, Troy Stangarone, Dan Kurtz, Daniel Kim, and to you listeners for tuning in. This episode is a recording from a public webinar hosted by the Korea Economic Institute. If you are interested in attending a live discussion in the future, please visit keia.org for upcoming events and more. You can also find Troy Stangarone's diplomat column on the Korean Baseball Organization in the description of this episode. If you have a moment, we would really appreciate you going to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to leave us a rating and a comment. It really helps get the word out about Korean context. Thank you in advance. See you next week.